We are starting a new series, as Charles mentioned just a moment ago. Three Relationships Discipleship. But we are not just starting a new series. We've been talking about this for months. We've been talking about how we will be entering into 2023 with a filter through which we look at everything we do at Calvary Church. We will be look, taking a hard look and being intentional in discipleship, in prayer, and in missions this year. And today starts that endeavor. Now, why discipleship? <clears throat> why, why take a focus on discipleship? Well, the very last words that Jesus says in the book of Matthew is what we call the Great Commission in the church. And in that Great Commission, Jesus gives us a promise and a command. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start at verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Sometimes the last words that you hear from someone are oftentimes the most important. In these last words, Jesus gives this command to go and make disciples. Why are we being intentional about discipleship this year? Because Jesus desires us to. And some of you may be wondering, well, where are we headed as a church? Where are we headed as Calvary Church? That's where we're headed. We're going to be a discipleship-driven church. We're going to be a prayer-focused church and a mission-focused church. And so we want to unpack that a little bit today. And what we, are what we want to roll out to you is what's called three relationships discipleship. It's a method. It's a filter. It's a culture. What it's not, it's not a curriculum. What we don't expect you to do is to go and take 12 weeks of three relationships, and at the end of it, we say, congratulations, you're a disciple. That's not how it works. This is going to be the filter through which we do everything. It is a culture change that we want to look at everything through the lens of these three relationships. And the three relationships are found in that, that passage that we just read. They're found in the relationship with God, the relationship with the church, and the relationship with the world. The relationship with God and Jesus in that passage, the relationship with the church and going and making disciples, relationship with the world and going to all nations. And this is something we're very passionate about. And what we feel is, is that as we look at that and as we work in those relationships, there are different rhythms that we need to make a part of our lives. And so we've identified five rhythms for each of those relationships for a total of 15 rhythms that if you are engaging in that lifestyle with those rhythms, you will grow as a disciple. But what we want you to understand is that this is not something new or earth-shattering. Discipleship-making is something that many churches would agree on. But many churches would come back to you and just say, how? And I think at times what happens is, is when we're looking at discipleship is that we want some sort of checklist that we can check off and then say, there we go. We're a good disciple. And if we're doing the right amount of checks on the behaviors and if we know enough about what we see in the Bible, then we must be a good disciple. But the truth of the matter is, 
checking off all of those behaviors and learning all of those things and having intellectual knowledge in and of itself does not make you a good disciple. They are parts of discipleship, but in and of themselves, they do not make you a disciple. Let me give you an example of that. Jen and I have been married for 22 years, almost 23 years. Now, there's a lot of resources on marriage out there. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of conferences you can go to. In fact, uh, Calvary's endorsing a conference that we're sending people to to weekend to remember. You can go out to the hub to find out more about that. But there's a lot of stuff you can do. Now, suppose I read all of those books. Suppose I went to those conferences. Suppose I went over there and I learned this. I start to pay attention to the books and I learned, I'm like, okay, in order to be a good husband, I need to compliment my wife. All right. All right. Let me see what else it says. It says, okay, help her out. No stuff about her. Go on dates. Okay, so I have my checklist. And then I start the day and I look at my checklist and my wife comes down the stairs. I look at my checklist and I like, wife of mine. Your hair, it looks exquisite today. (laughs) Then I walk away. Or I go and I see the dishes and I'm like, ah, dishes, they must be done. Or I look at her and I'm like, orchids. She's like, what do you mean? Those are your favorite flowers. Or I say to her, I was like, Jen, we are going to go out on a date today, and I will take you to (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Double check for the rhyme. Does that make me a good husband? Not necessarily. If my wife came up to me and said, I'm feeling a little distant from you. I'm not sure about our relationship. It feels a little bit distant. And I go to her, I'm like, uh-uh. Check out my check boxes. It's not going to work, right? Why? Because if I focus on the check marks more than Jen, I'm missing it. And sometimes we focus on discipleship in the same way. We focus on the check marks instead of focusing on Jesus. And the point is not to check off check boxes. The point is to grow in our relationship with Jesus. You see, a disciple is simply someone who listens to Jesus and learns from Jesus in order to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. Someone who listens to Jesus and learns from Jesus in order to love like Jesus and live like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And so a disciple is less about what you do and what you know and more about who you are. And so we believe that this method, this model of three relationships will help us to grow as disciples. Not just help us to grow as acting like disciples or learning about discipleship, but help us to grow as disciples. And I'm really excited to unpack that, and we're going to unpack that over this series. In fact, this is what we're going to be focusing on all of 2023, not not necessarily every sermon series, but through everything that we do. This is what we're going to be focusing on. And I really wanted to kind of just unpack it and go in, into the nitty-gritty of it today, but as I was preparing for today, I began to realize, I was like, no, 
before we do that, before we unpack things, we have to have another conversation first. My daughter, Autumn, uh, is in college, and she's a very hard worker. She's in college, she's working, she's volunteering. She does so much stuff. She does a little bit too much. She kind of burns herself out. Well, she was looking for something to recharge. She was looking for a hobby, so she decided to renovate and remodel a dollhouse. So she's scraping wallpaper, she's painting, she's doing all sorts of stuff. Well, she found on Etsy this person who would make miniatures for houses. And so she found on Etsy someone who would make a miniature copy of our front door. And she was so excited because she loves our front door. And so she went over, she found out the person made it. She brings a picture that the person emailed to me. And the person emailed and said, let me know if this is what you want. to. Pur- you don't have to purchase this. Let me know if this is what you like. And so Autumn brings it to me. She goes, Dad, what do you think? Should I buy this? She's like, it's going to be great. It's the perfect part for, for the house. It's, it's great. I love it. It looks beautiful. What do you think my question was? Well, if you know me, you would have said it correctly. How much? No, Dad, it's exactly what I need. Doesn't it look exactly like how much? And the reason I ask that question often is, one, because I'm cheap. But two, two, even more so, I believe before you invest in anything, before you pay for anything, before you actually uh, uh, um, dive into something, you should do a cost analysis. You should assess the cost of something. And so we're asking you to be a part of a church that is going to be discipleship-driven, that is going to be prayer-focused, that is going to emphasize missions. And before you commit to doing that, I think it's important to do a cost assessment. So today, we're going to do a cost assessment for discipleship. And we're going to take a look at the book of Mark. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark is a, a, a book in the Bible that is rich with discipleship. And we're going to be taking a look at Mark throughout most of this series. Most of the time we're going to be focusing on the book of Mark in relationship to uh, discipleship. But we're going to be taking a look at Mark chapter 8, and we're going to answer three questions today. The three questions are this. Who is Jesus? What did he do? What does he expect? Who is Jesus? What did he do? What does he expect? Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Mark painstakingly takes the effort to answer that question of who is Jesus. Leading up to this passage, what you would see in the book of Mark, you would see Jesus healing a deaf and mute man. What you would see is Jesus feeding thousands of people with just seven loaves of of bread. What you would see is Jesus healing a blind man. And then after this passage, what you would have is Jesus going up a mountain with three of his disciples in what the church knows as the transfiguration, where Jesus is revealed in all of his glory, and God proclaims, this is my son who I'm pleased, listen to him. 
Mark goes out of his way to reveal Jesus as the Son of God, to reveal Jesus as the Son of Man. He's revealing who Jesus is. And sandwiched between those stories, sandwiched between those miraculous events, is this passage where Jesus goes to his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Some say you're this. Some say you're that. And then others mention this. And that's kind of like our own culture, right, when it comes to Jesus. Some say Jesus is this. Some say Jesus is that. And others might say this. None of those answers were correct, by the way. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And all of us have to answer that question at some point. And then here comes Peter. Peter, who is one of Jesus' disciples, he lived with Jesus, he's, he's one of his close friends, and he always seems to have a habit of just speaking before he thinks. He does, he puts his foot in his mouth often, but this time he seems to get it right. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. In Hebrew, the Messiah is the anointed one, is the one who would uh, deliver God's people, they were longing for him. He is the promised one. He's the one who would deliver the people of Israel. That's what he meant by the Messiah. It is a bold proclamation. And Jesus hears that answer, and he begins to reveal that while Peter's answer is correct, Peter doesn't fully understand what that means. And he begins to reveal just what it means to be the Messiah and what the mission of the Messiah is. Let's go back into Mark chapter 8. So Peter has just said, you are the Messiah. Jesus responds, and then Jesus does this. He then began to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But, Jesus, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I don't want to be Peter. Not at that moment. I went from this real high, like, I got the prices right question right. And then all of a sudden, I'm being called Satan by Jesus. I'm being rebuked. What happened? What was going on there? You see, Jesus transitions and answers the question of what the Messiah must do. See, what did Jesus do? What did he do? He saved everyone. He delivered all of humanity. There was something more at stake here. And Peter's understanding of what the Messiah must do was limited. You see, Peter was on board with Jesus as the Messiah, but he was not on board with the cross. Peter wants to lift, to, wants Jesus to fit into his own agenda. He's attempting to redefine and reshape Jesus into the picture that he has developed, the picture that fits Peter's expectations. But the problem is that Peter and for that sake, neither you nor I can redefine Jesus to fit our expectations. Jesus is who he is, 
And his mission is what it is. We don't get to define that. And what Jesus is revealing to Peter and to his disciples at that moment in what he's saying is that your understanding of the Messiah is limited. There is a deep-rooted evil far more intense than anything that you understand, Peter. There is a deep-rooted evil that has to be addressed. And Jesus reveals that in order to address that deep-rooted evil, he must go to the cross. He reveals that his mission must include rejection. It must include suffering. It must include death. Jesus saves the world through the victorious self-sacrifice of the cross. And Jesus refuses. He refuses any attempt at minimizing this part of his mission. The cross is the essential element of all of that. And this is important. It's important to understand how essential that the cross is to the mission of the Messiah. It's important to understand how much Jesus refuses to minimize that element of it because of the third question. You see, we answered two out of three questions so far. Who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, the deliverer of all of humanity. What did he do? He saved everyone by taking on rejection, by taking on suffering, by taking on death, by taking on the cross. What does he expect? What does he expect? Let's go back into Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. For whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or can anyone give an exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. What Jesus had just done with his disciples explain, was explain to them what it meant to be the Christ, what it meant to be the Messiah. What was the way of the Messiah? And he explains that it includes suffering. He explains that it includes rejection. And he explains that it includes death. And the reason he goes out of his way to explain what it meant to be the Messiah was for those who were coming after him. What does he expect? He expects us to continue what he started. Our mission at Calvary Church has been to continue what Jesus started. If you ever happen to come into Sourton and come into this room, you'll see four letters up front here, CWJS. They stand for continuing what Jesus started. Jesus did a lot when you read the Bible. Even in what we just looked at, I told you earlier that before this passage, he feeds the hungry. With just seven loaves of bread, he feeds thousands. Jesus feeds the hungry. Yes, as a church, we are called to feed the hungry. Jesus heals those who are sick. As a church, we are called to be uh, agents of healing in our community. Yes. We are called to reveal the truth of Jesus. Yes. But Jesus took up his cross. And if we are agents of healing and if we feed the hungry, but we have not taken up our cross, 
then our mission of continuing what Jesus started is incomplete. It's incomplete. You see, it's here in Mark chapter 8 that we get the depth of what continuing what Jesus started really means. How do we do that? What does Jesus expect of his disciples? Well, it says it right there in the passage. What does he expect us to do as a disciple? He expects us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Now, I think it's very important, before we go on any further, that I just take a little bit of a tangent, and I want to point something out. I think it's very important that I point something out. We're talking about the cost of discipleship, the cost that we have to pay. We don't pay the cost for the right to be disciples. We don't pay the cost for the right to be disciples. Only Jesus can pay that cost. We cannot. We can only accept that gift from Jesus. My youngest child, my youngest son, Justice, started taking martial arts classes this week. He's so excited. He's like, Dad, I'm like a ninja. <laughs> he wanted to show me that he can roll. Like, it's kind of cool. He can stand and jump and roll. I can't do that. Like, roll sideways. <laughs> but he's so excited about it. Here's the deal. I paid the admission fee for him to get into those classes. The money came out of my bank account in order for him to be admitted into that class. He didn't pay that. Somebody else had to pay for him to be admitted and allowed to take those classes, allowed to be called a martial arts student. But now he has a new cost. He has to practice. He has to listen. He has to follow instruction. He has to go to the classes. He has to live out the life of a martial arts student. While he didn't pay the cost of admission, he now pays the cost of being, having the identity of a martial arts student. Jesus is not making a statement of condition. He's not making a statement of condition. He's making a statement of position. When Jesus tells us the cost of discipleship, he's not making a statement of condition. He's making a statement of position. You see, Jesus reveals the requirement of discipleship. Carrying your cross is not just for Jesus alone. It is necessary as a means of redemption, and we cannot carry that cross. Only Jesus can carry the cross of redemption. But if you have been redeemed, you are called to carry the cross and live out the life of a disciple. You must pick up your cross and follow Jesus. I'd like to preface what I'm going to say next just by saying that what I say next is meant to be words of love for all of you. And what I say next is relevant to those who consider themselves followers of Jesus. If you're here and you're just checking out this whole Christian thing, if you're here and you're just checking out the whole Bible thing and the whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing, you're like, I'm not even sure what I believe. We're so happy that you're here. Welcome. We'd love to talk to you. Now you got to listen to me talk to the rest of them for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, 
If you consider yourself a Christian, I think it's important for you to understand what we expect as a church. It might be good for you to understand what kind of church you're getting yourself into. You see, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, there is an expectation we have at Calvary Church, and that expectation is high. We are meant to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And if you're looking to come to a church where you can just sit back and be comfortable, that's not Calvary Church. If you're looking for a church, if you're looking for a church that you can sit there and simply add Jesus as an accessory to your life, like a watch or a necklace, then you're probably at the wrong church. But if you're looking for a church that understands that we're a part of something far greater than what happens in these walls, if you're looking for a church that understands that eternity is at stake, if you're looking for a church that is passionate about the gospel and making disciples, then welcome to Calvary Church. Because that's what we will be. That's what we will be. We are not meant to seek out a comfortable life. We are meant to seek out the life of the cross. So what are we to do as disciples? Deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. You see, when it comes to denying myself, that may look different for you or for me. We may look at times that I may sacrifice my pride and stop seeking glory and honor. It may mean that I need to sacrifice in my desires and wants and not seek out financial gain for myself. It might mean that I need to sacrifice my, my, my bitterness and not seek out revenge, but actually forgive others. It means that I stop focusing on myself and I focus on Jesus, that the one who is, is in front of me, the one who I am constantly looking at, is Jesus. It means that I stop looking at the mirror and focusing on the importance of who's in that mirror, and I start looking at Jesus and proclaiming the importance of his name. means I deny myself and pick up my cross and follow Jesus. It means I live by a model that says that Jesus is leading and so I will stay close to him and follow him wherever he leads me today. Each day I allow God to be the one who is in control. This is the cost of discipleship. This is the cost of discipleship. Jesus is not looking for us to make minor tweaks in our lives. He's not looking for us to make minor adjustments. He's looking for a complete overhaul. He's looking for us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. So there's your assessment cost. There's your cost assessment for discipleship. And I think it's really important for two reasons. I think it's really important so you know what to expect as we move forward and focus. We are so excited about stuff. We are so excited about three relationships. We're so excited about praying life. We're so excited about focusing on missions. We're so excited. This is something that gets us energized and pumped. But we know that it comes with a cost. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, we know that it comes with a cost. And we're willing to pay it. And we're asking you to come along. 
We're asking you to come along because what Jesus offers us is far greater than anything we could try to cling on to. This is a great cost, but if we try to hold on to it and not pay this cost, we're going to lose it anyway. And what Jesus offers us is so far, 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 far much greater than anything we could try to hold on to. So we want you to know the cost. But the other reason that I wanted you to hear this is because of the person who created Three Relationships Discipleship. Three Relationships Discipleship was created by a man named Wes Coddington. Some of you know Wes. Actually, some of you are friends with Wes in this room. He came and visited here a couple of years back. Uh, Wes uh, is a former student of Jay Desco, one of uh, our pastors for many years here at Calvary Church. And Wes was a good friend. Wes created Three Relationships Discipleship, and he was passionate about living out that life of a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples. About a year and a half ago, Wes passed away from cancer. When Wes was first diagnosed with cancer, I remember reading just a post that he put. And this is what he said. I didn't memorize it. This is the gist of it. He said, I have no desire in my last days to just fill my life with experiences, doing all the things that I always wanted to do. I have no desire to get a bunch of thank yous and accolades. My desire until Jesus calls me home is to do the mission that he's called me to and make disciples. And that's exactly what he did until his last heartbeat. Three Relationships Discipleship was created by someone who was passionate about living this life of denying himself, picking up his cross, and following Jesus. So for today, we wanted you to hear a little bit from Wes. You see, I found a video on YouTube as I was just searching on discipleship. And I found a video of Wes after he had been diagnosed with cancer. And so I'm going to pray, and then you're going to listen to Wes just share, in the midst of knowing that his days were numbered, what was truly important to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your love, and we ask that you would give us <clears throat> the strength, ability, and courage to actually live out the life of a disciple, to deny ourselves to pick up our cross, and to follow you. Lord, we thank you for Wes and his wife Karen and his family. <clears throat> I thank you for his passion for you and for others, and to see the gospel impact so many lives. We pray for Karen and the kids. We ask you that you would bless them even now, and that you would bless this church that as we go forward this year, we would be filled with a deep hunger for you. That we would be filled with a deep passion for you. That we would give everything so that others would know Jesus. And so that disciples will be made who will make disciples. Who will make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
When I was 23, they found this abnormality in my kidneys and it turned out I needed a kidney transplant. So in 2010, my brother Steve gave me a perfect matched kidney. It functioned great and it died six days later. So I went on dialysis for over a year. Um, and then in 2011, I got a cadaver kidney and then I'm on anti-rejection medicine. One of the things that they tell you is the anti-rejection medicine can cause cancer. This past August, we found out that my kidney medicines have caused esophageal cancer. Uh, and by the time they found it, it was not only in my esophagus, but it was in my liver and my lymph nodes. So it's incurable, according to man. Uh, and they started me on chemo treatments right away. The first four months uh, have not yielded what we want. It's not stopping the cancer. So this January we started a new round and we're having complications with that. So at this point we just kind of say we don't know what the timeline is but that's what we've been told. In one sense it really doesn't change anything. We just continue living day to day saying what do you have for me today Lord? If he wants to heal me great. If not what do I do today? What do I do today? Um, and I, I believe that's what we're called to. and dream would be that my family and those that I've had the privilege of working with would continue that on and that they would make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Jesus continually told us to make disciples was the last thing he said which includes spiritual disciplines, it includes generosity, it includes worship, it includes reading my Bible. These are all things that a disciple does. The Lord took my health and it's built uh, an intimacy with the Lord that I wouldn't change for the world. I really wouldn't. God has continued to be faithful in our life. He's got a better plan that I could ever come up with, whether I'm on the planet with my family or not. I believe that it's hard to live it sometimes, but most of the time, it just, it's uh, easier than you'd think when you have a track record with the Lord.